terribly wrong and why and how can we prevent from mission going terribly wrong and uh, I'll first read something that Jesus said about uh, about mission a mission that went terribly wrong also and it's found in Luke 19 and we'll read a few verses from there while they were listening to this he went on to tell them a parable because uh, he was near Jerusalem and the people thought that the kingdom of God was going to appear at once he said a man of noble birth went to a distant country to have himself appointed a king and then to return. Well, over here, um, Jesus is, is trying to tell him what is happening to him. So he came as a servant. He came as the son of God and now and a son of man at the same time. And he's going far away to be appointed as king. Uh, not that he wasn't. But he is going to come with great power and great authority. And so while he's going, he says that this is what happened. So he called 10, I want you to pay attention, 10 of his servants and gave them 10 minors. He put, uh, put this uh, money to work, he said, until I come back. But his subjects hated him and sent a delegation after him to say, we don't want this man to be our king. So this somehow goes away from the ten, ten minors, goes to the first one of him going over, uh, to be king. And then he returns now to what happened about his mission. He was made king, regardless of what people were saying. However, and returned home. Then he said, sent for his servants to whom he had uh, given money in order to find out what they had gained with it so he first uh sends uh for the servants they come he gives them 10 minors and then he sends them away now when he comes back he obviously he knows them obviously he knows where they live he knows a lot about these servants and he considers them to be trustworthy i would have to assume that in the story and then he continues to say, again, pay attention, remember 10 minus, he says, now the first one came and said, sir, your miner has earned 10 more. Well done, my good servant, his master replied, because you have been trustworthy of a very small matter, take charge of 10 cities. The second came and said, Sir, your miner has earned five more. His master answered, You take charge of five cities. There's no well done there. Just take charge of five cities. We assume that it was well done, what was said. Before we go to the next slide, what do you think that it says about the one? We know there is one more coming, yeah? I have to think, why is only three that I mentioned and not ten? I'm left there thinking, hold on, what happened? I'm curious. I'd love to know what happened to the other ten. It's only three that I mentioned. And incidentally, it doesn't say the third one. 
He says, then another servant came and said, sir, he is your miner. I have kept it laid away in a piece of cloth. I was afraid of you because you are a hard man. You take out what you did not put in and reap what you have, you did not sow. This is not the third one. This is another one of the other eight. Were they all eight in the same boat? So we are left there. Jesus leaves us there to, to, to think, to, to consider, to process about this story. And, um, and he relates to this, uh, to this servant that um, obviously he kept it, he put it in a cloth, he didn't want this to get scratched, he didn't want this to get contaminated, he didn't want this to be lost, he put it away, took good care of it. I would say that uh, this servant was pretty good. I would think that this servant took the, the, this plan very seriously. However, it is what he says and what he did, the two things that got him unstuck and the, the, the mission went really pear-shaped. And in fact, he was uh, thrown out, this servant. I will not read that part. But the thing is that he is saying that God, that Jesus, he came to sow that which, uh, or, or to reap that which, which he did not sow. Is that true? Is Jesus so unfair that he will come and reap and ask for that which he did not sow? Is he coming to take that which he did not give? What kind of a God is this? What kind of a Jesus is this? What kind of a Savior? Which, or who, which person will go and reap that which they did not sow? That is unfair. If someone comes and crops my vegetables and they've done nothing without my permission, without asking me, I'll be a little bit upset. We've got a veggie patch. If someone comes and takes something from you without asking you and they did not work for it and they claim it as their own and they demand it from you, wouldn't you say that it's wrong? You see... This servant is assuming that he knows his master. In fact, he is very wrong. And so I want to tell you the story of, uh, of Vincent van Gogh. How many of you have heard of Vincent van Gogh? Good. At least so now we can, you, you, you can follow me. Vincent van Gogh was uh, born in uh, 1853. He was a Dutch uh, uh, artist. And he died in 1890 at the age of 47. His father was a church minister and also was, so was his grandfather. His grandfather was a, a church minister and his brother was a pastor. So he knew a lot about church. He knew a lot about, uh, about mission. And uh, his mother came from a wealthy family, also from Holland. And uh, Vincent van Gogh, he enrolled in a theological college before he became a painter. And he failed. He failed bismally. And they did not accept him in there. So then he enrolled in a missionary school. And he failed. We don't know why he failed. 
We have no idea whether it was his thoughts, his ideas, whether of what he knew. Everybody assumes, and I myself would assume, that he knew the Bible pretty well. Coming from that pedigree, you know, grandfather, a minister, church minister, father, church minister, his brother, a pastor. He would have had the Bible in his hand. He would have known the Bible. We don't know why he failed. However, when he fails to be a missionary or go to missionary school, he decides to go and be a missionary anyway. And, um, and a good missionary he becomes. He was very, very good. He went and became a missionary in the coal mines in southern Belgium. And he was living as a homeless person. And that's what identified him with the miners. He lived in a shack, slept on straw, and he was able to share the gospel. That idea was still in his mind about him not being able to be a missionary about him not being able to go to college. So he returns and tries again, and he's failed. And so then he begins painting. He starts painting what is in his mind. So he sees that he cannot speak, he cannot address people, he cannot speak to the church, he cannot speak to people because he's missing something. So he allows that... Uh, paint and a brush and his hands would speak for him what is on his mind and I want to share some of the paintings let's go to the first one and we see there a person that it's plowing and sowing he's preparing the ground someone that it's uh, that it's working hard and and working in faith and in hope that there'll be produce that there'll be some return the next painting that we have there is about a sower Someone throwing seed and sowing again in hope. And this is what a church is all about. It's about preparing the ground. It's about sowing. And then he painted another one, which is about a person that it's reaping. There is a harvest, a plentiful, plentiful harvest. And he is just harvesting all the hard work. Incidentally, it's only one person. One person that it's plowing, one person that it's sowing, and one person that it's reaping. And uh, I would have assumed in my own mind, for what I know from Vincent uh, van Gogh, uh, that he would have read in, uh, in Luke 10, 20, where he says, he told them, the harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. Ask a lot of the harvest, therefore, to send out more workers into the field. But something changed. Something changed in Vincent's mind. Something was transformed, and he started to see the church and Christianity slightly different. And in his next painting, which is so striking, we see the harvest and the harvesters that are sleeping. And I'm thinking, what made him think like that? Why would he paint that painting? Was that the true state of the church? Was that what the church was like? Was that what his church was like? Was that what his brother's church was like? Was that how the church in Holland was like? Was it that there was so much harvest and people were sleeping? Was it that all the tools were left aside, the horse and cart, and, 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 and the harvest is, is just being wasted? Was it true? And is that how we think? Then... 
he goes to the final paints in his life, final paintings. And on this one, there is not even harvesters. There is a lot of harvest there, plentiful, and the birds are feeding on the harvest. The final painting that he painted before he died, and it's believed that it was the morning that he died, that he painted this. There is uh, somewhat darkness on the sky, but there is light on the field. Huge harvest, a road, basically several roads going through the harvest, the birds in the sky, and all neglected, all left to perish. There was one painting that he painted just before that. And I can imagine him going through his mind in Matthew 23:13, Woe to you, teachers of the law and Pharisees, you hypocrites. You shut the door of the kingdom of heaven in people's faces. You yourselves do not enter, nor will you let those who want to enter or those to enter those who are trying, uh, trying to. And it is believed that he was in the very last of his paintings that he painted, and I titled this sermon as the next painting. How many are familiar with this painting? This is a very, very, very famous painting. You know that uh, a lot, most of the paintings uh, from Van Gogh are used in theological colleges and Bible colleges to teach about what is going through people's mind, about how we can be creative and how can we, we can express. And this is so powerful. You see a church, a building, and you see that it's dark inside. You can see through the windows, and you see a road that is leading to church, but then it splits, one goes to the right and one to the left, bypassing the church. And what is wrong with this church? No doors. And the painting is, yeah, no people, of course, there is no doors. And the painting was titled, The Church with No Doors. According to Van Gogh, he could see that the church was now in darkness inside. That there were roads that were leading to the church. That the church had, was full of windows and people could look through the windows outside and be able to judge and see which road people take. But there was no doors in the church. People were not allowed to come into the church. And that's how he saw himself. Sadly, after he painted the last painting, he went, got a revolver and shot himself. And when people came to see him and his brother came and he said, uh, Vincent, we can go through this. Vincent, we, things can get better. We can change this around. We can turn this around. And his final word was, uh, no, all that remains now is sadness forever. What went wrong? Was it his mind or was that a reality? Was that the church like? See, people thought that he was a madman. People thought that he was crazy. People thought that he was sick in the in, in brain. In fact, some people suggested to his dad that he should be locked up in a mental institution, that he is not in the right frame of mind. 
You see, Jesus too had his way of thinking about the church. And so did Paul. And so did Peter. And we too have an opinion. And that is what scares me, is the opinion that we may have. You see, I'm not so worried about the opinion of Peter, Paul, and Jesus, or John. But I'm worried about our opinion. Jesus said uh, in Revelation 3.19, Those whom I love are rebuke and, and, and discipline. So he, um, so he uh, earnest and, uh, and uh, so be earnest and repent. Here I am, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come in and eat with that person and they with me. And uh, so Jesus sees himself at this church, that he's at a lot of that he's outside and he's knocking on the door. He wants to come in. There is a door, but the door is shut. So he's, Jesus is 100% entitled and he can, opinion, he can have an opinion because it is his church. But my question is, how do you feel about church? Yeah, there's two questions that I have. How do you feel about church? And the next one, the next slide is, what is your church like? How do you feel about it? How do you feel about this church? Because it becomes a reality to you and to me, how we feel about church. You see, you think, well, this is not a very encouraging message. I see it, what I'm going to say, as a very encouraging message. Jesus said that he is the door. And for as long as he is the door, he decides whether the door is going to be open. And nobody can come through windows, only through the door. And that's encouraging to me. The other thing that is encouraging to me is that Peter says that you are living stones. We are living building blocks. And for as long as we are living building blocks, this building cannot be dead because it's alive. See, we have to stop associating the building with the inside of the church and the church with the building. The two are unrelated. Yes, yeah, sometimes we, we tend to make the building shape and think the way that we think, but we are no longer, when we go, our children, grandchildren will be there, and they might not be as associating with the architecture of that building. That's why the building itself not, does not necessarily reflect what is inside. But what is inside is that matters. It is you. And see, Jesus is calling us to be the living blocks, to be alive. Because whatever you think, it's true. See, that's a catch on this thing. If you feel that in this church there is no doors, you're right. Because that is your frame of mind. Because that's the way that you think. Because you are an individual and part of the same church. But if you feel that the door is open, you're right, because that's the way that you'll be acting and living. And you see, we need to have this unity, this united front. And Jesus wants us to have that frame of mind. The frame of mind that we are living stones. The frame of mind that He is the door. The frame of mind that nobody comes to the Father but through Him. And He's inviting us to be that living stone, to be that living block. He wants us to be like that. He is asking you to be a participant, to be a living block, not just a dead brick in a building. He's asking me the same thing. He has given us these talents, these 
minus whatever it is that he has given us and he wants us to put it to work you know and he doesn't say exactly what it was but if it's prayer if it's support if it's whatever it is be contributors and be alive i'm grateful i'm very very blessed because i see that this church it is not made of dead blocks it's made of living blocks and I'd like this to remain. And I'd like us to start thinking like that, that we are living, building blocks, and that Jesus is the door. The day that someone else is the door, it becomes dangerous. You see, Van Gogh had a choice. I think, and, and I'm not sure whether he was a madman or not. I'm not sure whether the door or the, the, the church had a door or not. I don't know any of these things. But I know one thing for sure, that he could have changed things in his mind. He could have, and he didn't. And I think that it was tragic. I think there was a great loss. Van Gogh had so much to offer. He could have continued painting and transforming people's lives. But he didn't. See you, Pat. See you, Matt. Um, so the choice is ours. We have been given this opportunity. Let's not waste it. We are the living, building blocks. Make no mistake. Jesus is the cornerstone. He himself is a living, building block. So let's not focus on the building itself. But let's focus on what is inside the building. If you feel that uh, this church is, uh, has got no doors, if you feel that this church is uh, um, not doing anything, if you feel down for whatever reason, then come and talk to the leaders. I think it's important. You should voice it. You know, everyone has got a voice here, and every voice should be heard. But I also feel that you should know that not everybody feels like you and the people are praying for you. And I want to thank the church for also praying for us. So thank you very much. May the Lord bless you. Uh, I didn't share about uh, today, knowing that we're going to have Phil and Natalie here. I didn't share about the series that I'm doing about God, hopefully next time. But um, I'm very, very thankful for you being my brothers and sisters. You make a difference in my life. And thank you, Phil and Natalie, for coming. God bless you.